So it goes like this. Imagine that you have a Hershey's bar and a Godiva bar uh, on the table in front of you. Besides what they look like, just forget everything else about. So you've got the Godiva bar, you've got the Hershey bar. And my first question to you is, which one do you think costs more? Definitely the Godiva bar. Why is that? It's just, it looks fancier. It looks expensive. You don't know what's inside. You've never bought them before. But I can convince you to give me more money for this Godiva bar than for this Hershey bar right off the bat. And so that is the value that a designer brings. It's the the art of first impressions. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Casino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. My name is Audrey Pennington, and today I'll be your host. For this episode, I am thrilled to be speaking with Joey Caffone. Joey is a graphic designer and the CEO of Baron Fig. He has extensive work experience in the field of graphic design and has worked for companies such as Russo Bros and Company, Wigolia Design, Penguin Random House, and the School of Visual Arts, where he also earned his bachelor's in graphic design. On top of all that, Joey is a Seton Hall alum and a member of the class of 09. Joey, welcome to the podcast. Wow, that's wonderful. Thank you for having me. Hello, Audrey. Of course, we're super happy that you're here. So to start things off, let's go back in time a bit. Can you talk a little bit about your own undergraduate experiences and maybe how they started to shape who you are today? Well, I went to Seton Hall University and then I went to the School of Visual Arts and I did two undergrads. I am not a good student, really. So what happened was I went to Seton Hall for psychology. It was the only school I applied to. I did not really pay attention to the frenzy that was going on in high school about applying and all that. I got in, yay, and quickly realized psychology wasn't what I thought it was. But long story short, I switched to English literature and enjoyed the hell out of that. Then graduated, or nearly so, during the financial crisis. Like, there's no jobs for English and philosophy, not that many to begin with. And then when you add a financial crisis on top, there was like nothing. So what did I do? I got a six-pack of beer, drank it all, and drew all over my apartment wall. Then I went to sleep. The next day, friends came over, and they were like, oh, who drew this? And I said, oh, I did. And I thought they were going to you know, laugh and make fun and bust my chops. But no, uh, they were like, you sh- this is really good. You should go to art school. So I did. Within a month, I was in New York City at the School of Visual Arts. I went for illustration. And again, within a semester, I realized that was the wrong major. Switched to graphic design. And because I had English and philosophy and all that stuff that I learned, I was able to, it was like an unfair advantage against my classmates where I took all of this knowledge 
of like the greatest thinkers, you know, to have ever lived in, in literature and philosophy and put them into design. And so while most students were competing on what looks best, I had like what looks you know, best plus what am I saying? And I basically used that I- idea, which people were so attracted to, the concept of like deep thoughts and good design combined and started a company called Baron Fig. And here we are. <laughs> I don't know if that answered the question, but I'm happy oh, yeah, to, absolutely. to go back. Yeah. So I was just about to, so that leads perfectly into my question about Baron Fig. But before we get there, I want to stick to right after you graduated. So what was sort of your first job in graphic design and how did you get it? Cool. So I was sitting in the cafeteria one day at Seton Hall and the calf was the bomb. Like our students, students listen to this. I'm sure they do. I'm going to be a bad influence. No, our, (laughs) our target audience is undergraduates. So, but it's all good. See what you got to say. Well, I may have skipped many a class so that I could spend more time in the calf, but I will not confirm or deny that. And don't do that. But I, I may have done that. And I was sitting there one day and my like Nokia phone, right? This is, I mean, I'm dating myself here. It was like buzzing. I picked it up. Hello. Dude was like, um, is this Joseph phone? I'm like, who the hell calls me that? I'm like, uh, yeah, who is this? And he told me who he was. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. It turns out I had applied to a job, totally forgot about it and got an interview and was like, I'm surprised this dude didn't just hang up after like what I said. So anyway, I go get to this plumbing company called Russo Brothers and they hired me as an intern. And all I basically was supposed to do seriously was they, back in the day, there's no social media, right? This is like just before that. I'm, uh, my main priority, my main like responsibility was to put stamps and, and address labels on thousands of postcards a day. Like this was my job. And I was like, whatever, man, I'm getting paid 15 bucks an hour. And um, I had a good time. But I stared at this postcard for like eight hours a day for weeks and at some point, you know, you go beyond, you, you go beyond memorizing it, you, the full gamut of like, you know, the anger, depression, resentment, acceptance or grief or whatever that whole thing is, right? And I went to go through this whole thing for a postcard and I, I have it in my head and I start redesigning it in my head before I knew what design was. So one day I finished my like 5,000 postcards an hour early I sat at my desk, I took a piece of paper and I traced all the elements of the postcard, cut it out, reassembled it onto a new fake dimensioned postcard. And I brought it, you know, and I went to the, the, the boss and I'm like, hey, his name was Mark. I'm like, hey, Mark, you know, I think we could be organizing the information better so that people could like see what they need to see first. And he was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, why don't you let me know you know, let me know what you need to do it. And I'm like, well, you know, he was thinking Photoshop and I'm like, well, actually I did it. And I hold up this like just Frankenstein thing in front of him. And he was like, oh, wow. And I explained it. And he spent back then there was like not subscription to Photoshop. So you had to pay for it. So it was like 500 bucks. So he spends 500 bucks on this like 17 year old kid and gets me Photoshop. I he lets me redesign the card. And then he's like, wow, this is great. Sales go up. And then he starts making me redesign things. At the point, at that time, design was not even a word that I knew. 
And while at Seton Hall, it was my job that I would go to at like 6 a.m. I would show up to lunch. Uh, then I'd go to classes afterwards. I ended up learning that I wanted to do this thing for a living, which I still didn't know what it was called. Made cash, which was wonderful. Learned how to like be disciplined and work. And sort of accidentally was put on track all from that phone call in the cafeteria. Wow. That's crazy. That's, <laughs> you really stumbled into this. I didn't realize that's, yeah. it's like, it's like perfect. So what made you around what time in the, in your time frame did you start Baron Fig and what made you sort of decide that you wanted to start your own company? Cool. So I had done the four years at Seton Hall University. I did my four years at SVA and for the senior thesis, uh, just like in an English major, you have a senior thesis for, it's a paper senior thesis in design school is a project of sorts and it could be whatever you could like rebrand target and do like everything the store that the receipts the bags i mean you go like the website you could go deep so you really have the option to do whatever and for me i wanted to do a notebook company actually my thesis senior thesis teacher was like that's a stupid idea do something else but that that got me like angry got me jived up so I, I just did a book for the thesis, but all the while I actually started redesigning this notebook company. And my, my core idea, my core, like, what's it? My core complaint was that at design school, all of the students walk around with two tools, a notebook and a laptop, right? I mean, same thing in um, Seton Hall, the notebooks in design school are sketchbooks. So I noticed that the laptops were always the same. They were MacBooks, total ubiquity of product. But the, the sketchbooks were all different brands, different sizes, different paper types. And I thought to myself, wow, why, why is there this ubiquity in one and not in the other? So I did this whole exploration, like mostly paying attention and asking fellow students. They had no idea what I was getting at, but it really came down to brand. There was no brand, like a notebook or a sketchbook is a really personal item. You spend a lot of time in it. Like say your journal or your notes for a class that's important to you or drawings. That's like, you're putting a little bit of yourself into these things. Like it's literal toil. Like it's actually a ton of movement and, and work to fill this thing up. And there was no brand that would speak to that particular aspect of it. So long story short, I said, screw it. Let me try. Since I have this problem, let me see if other people do. I worked on designing a notebook for five months. I put it on Kickstarter, which for those that don't know what Kickstarter is, basically you put it out there and if people like it, they pre-order it. And then when you get a certain amount of pre-orders, you're good to go. And it only lasts 30 days. So I put this thing on Kickstarter and the video, instead of being like, here's how amazing this notebook is with the paper and the bookmark and the cover and all that stuff. I said nothing about the notebook. I was just like, when you, the, the video is still online, you could Google it. It was basically like, notebooks are important to us, whether you're, you know, a student or whether you're working, whether you're a mom or a dad, it's a part of who we are. That was like the video, the gist. And I was hoping to raise $15,000 to make a production run. We, ra in, we raised $168,000 in 30 days, like 11 times the goal. Yeah, ridiculous. And that had proven the general thesis of like, if I'm having this problem, perhaps others are too. 
And we have been going ever since. That was 2013. This is 2021. I'm going on my ninth year of doing this-ish because I started a little earlier than that. And that that's the, the genesis of Baron Fig. Sweet. So yeah, so I will say that um, whenever I was writing these questions and I was researching you, I did look up, I did look up and look at the website of Baron Fig and I was like, oh, this is pretty, it's pretty neat. I didn't look too in depth to it, but then I was like, I was on Instagram last night and I kept getting ads for Baron Fig. And so I checked it out a little bit more in depth because I was getting ads for notebooks. I think you sell product that's like, it's like you complete the picture or something like that. So I checked out a little bit more. And it's fascinating. It's sort of like a marriage between your, what you studied at Seton Hall, sort of the, the English and philosophical side of things, as well as graphic design. So I thought that was, that was super interesting. Yeah, I apologize. We, we follow you around the internet. The moment you visit our site, it's just terrible. No, no complaints. The things are. It, was, it was just funny. I was like, wow, cool. So, um, so yeah, your Instagram page is pretty cool as well. I like all the uh, inspirational quotes and stuff. If I was an artist, I would definitely, you know, I would be super into that. I, I, give, I dropped a follow anyway, but. Um, well, I think you're an artist of the voice. Yes, an audio artist. <laughs> so how does the work of a graphic designer, um, I know, so I know you work at Baron Fig, but you've also, I assume you've worked for, you know, some of these other places you've worked, you've sort of had to de- design things for clients, correct? Yeah. So how does the work, the overall job and work of a graphic designer differ from other jobs, do you think? Graphic designers, I think, have this really cool power to influence. And, you know, there's only maybe... I don't know, a dozen jobs that have like such a level of, of influence like that, design being one of them, we, we, get, we can get a reaction and, and cause an emotion, right? When you look at an album cover or a poster for a movie or the book, a book cover or, or whatever it may be, design is everywhere. And not to mention like physical objects, like the chair we're sitting on, the laptop we're using. But the real challenge of design, especially early on, this is before like before Apple and Steve Jobs brought the word design into the, the universal lexicon, it was not such such a sought-after profession. No one talked about it. My family didn't know what I did forever. But really, back then, what was fun about it was that part of my job was not just doing the design, but was educating the people that I was working with, clients at the time. So I freelanced for quite a bit and enjoyed that. And I I, describe, I came up with a little analogy. I call it the chocolate bar analogy to try to help clients understand why they hired me. And so it goes like this. Imagine that you have a Hershey's bar and a Godiva bar uh, on the table in front of you. And I'm going to assume most, most people so far, actually, no one has said, I don't know what those are. So I assume everybody knows what, what those are. Now I'm going to ask you to imagine for a moment that besides what they look like, just forget everything else about these two things. So you've got the Godiva bar, you've got the Hershey bar. And my first question to you is, my only question perhaps is, which one do you think costs more? So I'm going to ask you, which one by looking at it, do you think costs more? Definitely the Godiva bar. And why, why is that? It's just, it looks fancier. I don't know. It's, it's, if I remember correctly, it's got like gold on it. It's, it's very, it's very beautiful almost. Cool. No, that's just, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. It looks expensive. So, you know, I mean, and you may be a chocolate expert, but I certainly am not. And no one has been so far. Let's say, you know, nothing about chocolate, right? You don't know what's inside. You've never bought them before, but I can convince you to give me more money 
for this Godiva bar than for this Hershey bar right off the bat. That's design is getting an effect. And then it's not just convincing people to part with more of their money, but that's a, but when you're selling it to a client, that's a really easy way to, to convince them to give you their money. So what's, well, there's a twist though. I design the wrapper and I can get the person to come once. I can tell them to buy that the Godiva over the Hershey one time. Then it is up to you, the client, the chocolate maker, to actually make good chocolate so that they will come back for a second and a third and a fourth time and so on and so forth. And the moment I explained that, it took me a while to kind of figure out how to pitch that. But once I started presenting the idea, the it was much easier to tell clients the value I bring. And so that is the value that a designer brings. It, it's, the, it's the art of first impressions. And it's also the art of communication. I had like... A poster might be the art of first impressions where I want you to like, the first time you see it, be like, I got to watch that movie. But design could also be like the dictionary and then like the art of designing it in a way where you can find what you need when you need it. So that's design in my estimation. I like that. I've never heard anything like that because I'm I'm not a graphic design major. I'm, you know, obviously an audio video major, but that helps me understand it a little bit more. So it's really cool. Oh, I'm glad. So I want to go into a little bit more the products that you sell at Baron Fig. I know we went into like the notebooks and stuff, but I saw like some pens and different things like that on your website. Can you explain those just a little bit more? Just I'm just curious. Yeah. Yes. I have like an important lesson to share about this stuff too, which hopefully is what you're after more. We, we, I started with the notebook and then I like to say we put rings around the notebook. So you have a notebook. What's like the next, if the notebook's in the center, what's the next ring around it that relates and it's a pen right and then when you have a notebook and a pen what's the ring around that it's like a place to put them and so we made bags and uh you know cases and stuff and then when you have the ring around that it's like we have these bags and cases what else can we put in it and so on and so forth the gist being that baron fig makes tools for thinkers so how can we help you do your best thinking is is the gist so whenever you're not using a digital product to think we want to be your main go-to source of things. The lesson is when I talked about freelancing. So I actually turned down a job. It was like 15 years ago now. That was a well-paying job at the time. I was still a senior and I got a job offer and it was like on the higher tier of salaries. I turned it down. Whole family freaked out. They're like, what are you thinking? This is ridiculous. And I was like, well, I mean, it was too easy I'm going to just, you know, I've already got a job. I'll probably get another offer. So why don't I go and freelance for a while? They're like, that's insane. So I started, when I started freelancing, I made $200 on my first project and it took two weeks. So I made a hundred bucks a week. Terrible. When I stopped freelancing eight months later, I was making 4,000 bucks a week. Nice. Why did I stop? Because I wanted to start a notebook company. What did my family say? Don't do that. That's crazy. You have a good thing going, right? Same story. So anyway, I didn't listen and I did Baron Fig and of course still doing Baron Fig. So it must be better than that, better than freelancing. So we do these notebooks, decide to do a pen as I, as I previously explained. And what happened? You can't do a pen. You, you're the notebook guys. You don't know how to make pens. Well, then we make the pen anyway. New York Magazine rates our pen out of a hundred pens that like, I don't know who's doing this out of a hundred pens. It's number one. 
Okay. Like over Bic and all these other like things that have been around forever. Our pen is number one. Sells like crazy. And then so on and so forth. So what I realized is, and maybe this is a useful, useful lesson for other people. What I realized in all that is that people cannot see what's not in front of them. And so when you're asking for advice, be very careful who you ask advice for, because 99% of people play it safe or just can't envision what you're envisioning. And you have to take that leap of faith eventually. And and there's going to be failures, uh, no doubt. But that's okay. That's inherent to success is failure because it would like Nobody expects to get things right on the first time, yet almost everybody is mad when they don't. Ridiculous. So that's, I don't even know what the question was anymore, but that's, that's, the, that's my wisdom for, for the moment. No, that's perfect. Yeah, so like I said, I'm, I'm not a graphic design major, but I'm sort of in that realm of communication in the arts. So I, I completely understand it. It's, it's my family ask what I'm planning to do with my degree, and it's very viewed upon as a very negative thing until, you know, I get an internship or until I get a job offer. And then it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I get it. Going back a little bit to your freelance time, because I have several friends in the Institute that are, um, their dream is to be a graphic designer. What is the process you go through besides the chocolate bar analogy? What is sort of the process after that you go through for whenever you're going to design something for a client? Like what's the creative process? So I already have a client, I've got my brief and I need to sit down and do it. Yes. First thing is always, and I'm not saying this because I sell notebooks. I sell notebooks because of this, which is you sit down with a notebook. You don't do it on the computer. The notebook offers many things that the computer doesn't and vice versa. One of the things is the lack of precision, which you might think is a fault and it would be later on in the process but early on you want to think very broadly very high level and so what i do is the very first thing is i'll make a mind map you familiar with mind mapping yes really briefly if i'm thinking like if i want to make a toaster and that's part of it i'd put like toaster in the middle and then i would say okay slots and I'd, i'd write slots on the outside And then maybe I would do uh, stainless steel, power cord, right? And then I would go to each of those and now make more branches off those. And so what happens is when you mind map, you eventually have like several branches deep. You get to places where you never would have directly thought toaster, but it relates. And that is essentially creativity in a nutshell is really just connecting things that aren't obvious. Uh, It's not actually creating from nothing. It's like a little bit of a misnomer. So I do that first. And then once I have some concepts that I think are interesting, which I'll like take the mind map and, you know, connect it, connect two disparate ideas and say, how can I make this relate back to this toaster brand I'm making, let's say. And I'll just doodle like crazy, put put some music on, put my feet up, chill out, fill page after page after page, not worrying, not moving slow. Uh, and not worrying if it's trash, like 90, like 99 is obviously, I'm going to repeat myself here, but the 99% of what you make is and is should be crap. And then you just keep going until you get something where it like really tickles you. You're like, I've got to see this through. And that's when I sit on the computer and I design formally. Uh, and in between those, obviously it doesn't all happen in one session. You know, maybe it takes a week or two weeks. 
a lot of my designing happens just in my head where I will just see it um, and just move pieces around almost like if you ever saw Iron Man and Jarvis, the like Tony Stark projections are like flying around. Like I've, I've been doing this long enough where, and I'm a visual person. So that's like, I sometimes lean back and like, just look into the air and like, I'm sort of moving pieces around. And that is also a way for me to quickly ideate. There's, I'll give you one nugget here, which is, you know, the phrase quality over quantity. Right. I mean, okay, sure. Great. But it doesn't really tell you how to get quality. And so lucky that we have me here to say that, which is um, quality over quantity, but quantity begets quality. You need to do a lot to get something good. I think quality over quantity makes people think they have to sit down and do this really one nice thing. And that is a massive recipe for disaster. Just to end on an example for that is like we, the Confidant notebook comes in a box. I made 90, you know, 80 boxes before I figured out the box that I liked. Right. And that's kind of the definition of the, the process is iteration over and over again. That's interesting. This is applicable in many different fields, sort of the creative process, because um, that's stuff that I have to do as well. But yeah, I absolutely love all of this. So do you have, my next question is, do you have a graphic designer that is, that you like sort of admire that whose work is sort of your favorite besides, you know, besides your own? <laughs> but if, do you have anybody, you know, that you look at and you think, oh, I absolutely love their work. I wish I could one day make work like that. Or do you just sort of I, I get asked this a lot and um, I feel like I always disappoint because there are a ton of designers out there that I'm aware of There's like famous people who've done incredible things, but when you really investigate what they did, it's, it's actually like very much doable, palatable, sensible result. So my favorite designer is the nameless designer is is all the people like i'm at a desk are you at a desk yes okay you're nodding your head for people who can't hear who designed this desk who designed this monitor and this this thing and this thing and like all these things that surround us somebody many people came together to make it that inspires me way more than like the ipad by you know johnny ive or whatever, because there's something so honest and true about it there. And not that the iPad isn't, I love you know my iPad too. There's just a beauty in how many human beings, ideas surround us all day and we don't think about it. So the nameless designer is my favorite. I like that. I think that's a, that's a really good answer. So we're coming sort of to the end of this uh, interview. Do you have any last minute words of advice, if you could sit in front of, you know, my friends who are graphic design majors and, you know, give them any piece of advice really quickly, you know, one thing, what would it be? One thing in design school, I would say, do not glorify overnighters. An overnighter is where they design all night right before class. And like, oh my God, look at that working so hard. No, I slept eight or nine hours every night. Why? I was not that I was a bad student at design school, maybe at Seton Hall. It was because 
I did my work early. I didn't have to. I was done like five days before. So be careful with that. Don't glorify bad practices because it looks like hard work. And this applies to probably everything uh, work-related, not just design. Really be responsible and proactive. That's my, my final thought. Perfect. Well, so that's all the time we have. I want to thank you, Joey, for coming on the podcast this week. And to our listeners, we will see you next week. On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership and on Twitter at shu leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.